This is Imperial Voice, streaming from the palace of His Imperial Majesty, Haile Selassie. I came to Bath and that was the shocker because suddenly everyone was white. I would say there was the school shout electric afterwards. Um, we had the very, you know, an overwhelming feeling that something good had just happened. It was awesome. I tell you what, you could hear a pin drop in my classroom with the, the kids just staring at the screen with their mouths open in awe. Something that was literally up the road from where they were sitting and so many of them knew nothing about it. And, and, and the children absolutely loved it. They, they, they were silent, they were involved, mouths open, just taking it in, and so were the staff. And welcome to Imperial Voice, coming to you as if from Fairfield House Bath. This is In Our City. Today in our city, we will be looking at Black History Month. And I will be interviewing William, my co-presenter, as well as a couple of other local teachers in Somerset schools. But we're going to dive in straight away. William. We I'm here. Spoken. I'm what here. It's like months. Where have you been? <laughs> I don't, it's been crazy. We, we, someone had the suggestion that we do some material for uh, Black History Month for local schools. And actually, when we looked into it, Fairfield had done an awful lot already. There'd been some very carefully researched materials. But we put together a project team with Renee, who's been on the show, Mr. Bunny, uh, Ras Benji, Mark, Sean. And um, we created two presentations for schools. And I started writing out to schools. I think I emailed about a dozen schools and didn't get much reply. So I started ringing them up and then I got through to reception and they said, oh, you've got to email us. And I said, yeah, I did email you. And they said, well, we're replying to you, of course. So that was slightly going nowhere. But then this woman in Bath Council, Louise Murphy, who's the equalities officer, she has some sort of magic button on her computer, which is email all schools in Baines. And she sent out a note saying Fairfield House have prepared some Black History Month materials. And it just went berserk. I mean, my phone was ringing off the hook. I think I think we, we we booked 30 presentations in the month of October for local schools. That is impressive and well, seems like a, a heck of a lot of work. How is it going? Well, what we did quite quickly, we realised, I mean, all schools are having to work under this terrible pressure of uh, the pandemic restrictions. And so they're, they're doing assemblies you know, with technology and remotely. And we found the first one did not go well, I'm afraid to say, because of just complicated, niggly things. I mean, they use MS Teams, they use Google Meets, they use Zoom and, you know, Windows or Mac OS platforms don't play nicely with the different 
the different things they're using. So we found that just to do a pre-narrated video was the lowest risk option. And as soon as we had that, and Baines had shared that, then we knew that any school could at least play the video and hear the message about his Imperial Majesty, his time in Bath, and the lessons that that held in Black History Month. And where possible, um, Benji and I would join them, either to make it a live presentation or just to do Q&A after they'd heard a video. So, dare I ask first? Go on. Which school was it? Ooh, uh, they were so keen and I was so disappointed about the technical challenges both ends. It was Chew Valley, but they um, they did get the video and played it subsequently and they seemed happy with that. And there was there was good follow up. So we've sort of had, um, I guess, how many have we done now? I'll just check it out. Um, bear with me one second. I have a spreadsheet which has all the details of all the schools we've talked to. Um, and here it is. Got different colour codes for yeah. yeah. So we've delivered nine, and although we were worried about how they'd gone, uh, I mean, the feedback from Chu was it went down really well, and they they've got five volunteers to be part of a student group pursuing the matter, and yeah. So I think um, I think they're going down well. But I mean, hopefully we'll hear from a couple of teachers and we'll hear directly what it was like for them. Okay, so what do you hope to get out of this? Well, I think Fairfield is an extremely important part of, our, it's our very own piece of black history. So we want to raise awareness. We think Fairfield House is neglected by comparison to other less noble and dignified parts of our heritage. We're slightly at a crossing point. We don't know whether that we should pursue a sort of inspiration narrative of how inspiring his imperial majesty is and his legacy, or a sort of jeopardy narrative, which says, look, you know, this emperor left this valuable gift to our community and we're really neglecting it. And it's really in jeopardy. You know, there's water coming through the roof. That doesn't happen at the Abbey and at the universities and at Durham Park. And, you know, we're putting millions into Cleveland pools and places, but, but, with Fairfield House, there's really no basic responsible maintenance happening. So we feel the service to the schools is important. It's been really energising. The feedback has been really energising, but we think it's part of a wider thing to, I suppose, help our community realise what we have in our midst, something which is really of international importance and really interesting and really fun and, and welcoming. So that's okay. what... Yeah. So you're obviously you're engaging the children um, or the young people rather. Absolutely. They were looking um, it, to the, you know future generations. Yeah. Some of that is very white. It is very white. I'm, okay. Yeah. So what 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 value? I mean, do you do you think you know? Because many people will say, well, it doesn't really matter because there are not that many you know um, sort of black people in Somerset. Does it really matter? Okay. So I suppose. We're conscious that the audience is mainly white, but we're trying to do it in a way which is really mindful to the small minority who are black, both pupils and also teachers. We're making the point that very few school boards, hospital boards, senior management teams have the, the proportionate number of black faces on them. So there's that. We would like the teachers and pupils to feel supported, but also for the majority pupils, we just raise the question of, you know, who are the models? Who are the, the, the most globally famous people that you can think of in Bath? And if you come up with names like Peter Gabriel or Mary Berry or Jane Austen, good luck to you, because these are lovely people. 
if you come up with names like Beckford and Blathwaite and Robert Clive, these are really problematic people, and it's really important to realise that. And you know, we've got statues and plaques in Bath Abbey, and I mean, we we even came across a new housing development where the new roads are going to be named after people with slaving heritage, which is just astonishing. So we 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 think. It, we need a sort of wake-up call. It's it's history, it's RE, it's it's social sciences, it's architecture, it's all these things. We just think, I mean, Benji's presentation is is broadly factually based and has a lot of information and background about His Imperial Majesty, and Benji is very expert on that. Mine, I suppose, is more advocacy to say, look, you, we really need to wake up and realise that Bath's most famous ever resident was an African emperor, you know, get over it. And here's why he's famous. Right. And when you add up his achievements, I'm sorry, but you know, Beckford and Blathwaite and Robert Clive really don't look that good in comparison. Okay. But uh, isn't it sort of problematic in, in its own way um, to try to erase almost, you know, um, I'm just playing devil, devil's advocate here. Don't, don't you devil's advocate me. I am devil's advocate. I think the thing is, I think people need to be educated about all of it. I mean, no one's saying don't understand who, what, who Blathwaite was and what he did. I mean, we came across that thing the other day that um, it, was, it was on the local Facebook group. They're going to change the name of the Blathwaite Arms. The new owners are being very coy about why they're changing the name. There's a strong reactionary thing saying, oh, this is PC gone mad. I mean, you know, what are they going to do next? But actually, you need to know who Blathwaite was and you need to know who Beckford was. You need to know who Robert Clive was. And I think you also need to know who Haile Selassie was. I mean, I'm not saying let's wipe out one and just look after the other. What else, what else um, do you think we need to know about this whole project? And how else can, you know, anybody listening, how else can they get involved? So we, um, I mean, there's a project team. We, I think we should develop this into an educational program offered by Fairfield House. And I think the road's open to collaboration with universities. Schools plainly have a, a thirst for, for good material. We've got it, oh, hello, we're being joined. I think we're being joined, Tosin. Who do you see? I see a gentleman that, that I will hello. assume, and a beautiful lady with a wonderful head wrap. Hi, hello. Hello, who looks, a lot like my sister queen. You look like my sister queen, um, Nicola. Ah. The best, the best, the bestest person in the world. Oh, well, I don't know if I can compete with that. Oh, but... I'm, 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 <laughs> Thank you. You said the right aura, so I'm sure you do. Oh, Hello, where's Marvin? Marvin's gone. Hello, Thank Marvin. you for joining us. So I, yeah, Marvin's Hello, Marvin. Hello, Marvin. I'm here. Welcome. Hello, how are you? Nice to see you. Right, is that all okay? Marvin, you're sounding fantastic. You're coming through loud and clear there. Brilliant. And thank you so much for, 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 for really joining us. So we'll go straight into it and William can come back. Um, both Marvin and uh, Janine, thank you both very much. Um, you've come back to school now, however many months after uh, oh, lockdown, Black Lives Matter. What's it like? What's it like? Uh, it's been interesting. Once we got over the initial uh, COVID sort of situation, um, obviously there's a higher risk to the Bain community. 
So once we, uh, I sort of got my mind around that and the way things were working, just gone into the flow really after about three weeks now, three, four weeks. I was sort of like, you know, as normal really, it's just become as it was. And then before we knew it, we were straight into Black History Month. Okay, um, so which school? So if you like, kind of sort of take it back. I'm at the Mendip Studio School, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, at the top of um, uh, the hill in, in Radstock in Somerset. Uh, a lovely little studio school, and it's closely linked with Rivlington School. Uh, but it's also part of the Midsummer Norton Schools Partnership, which has got, I think, 25 schools at least it's quite a big map uh it's been really good actually because we got the ceo who's really uh um really conscious of of fame issues and you know diversity and the british values so he selected uh the stephen lawrence trust as our charity of the year for the trust and uh, it's snowballed since then really i've always been passionate about uh you know um talking about and teaching the kids about um, anything to do with diversity because I grew up in the area in the 70s uh, it wasn't diverse at all and it was pretty much terrifying really for me as a child growing up there we thought I had it bad my dad would talk about when he was a kid with the shops in Bath with no blacks, no dogs, no Irish. My had my dad had that as well, but my dad actually <laughs> had an Irish did. accent. My dad went to school in yeah. Ireland, so he was black with an tinge of an Irish accent. So you imagine that? <laughs> I'll tell you another story, shall I? That my friend called Marky B from Bath, Mark Brown, his grandfather, when he first came to Bath in the early fifties, he was walking down through Milsom Street. And a lady came up to him and said, have you got a tell? Literally thought he was a monkey. I mean, that's how it was. But I'll put this to you now. Was it worse then where it was out and in your face like that? Or is it worse now where things like not responding to emails when it's got anything to do with colour? not using it in school or council not doing something everyone at the top being one group and the irony that i'm actually now in charge of of the pshe program and and part of that remit is cultural awareness you know it sort of almost makes everything worth it you know do you know, so, it's interesting because obviously our um, listeners can't really see you, but, you know, for someone like me, you almost pass. Um, and yet you, 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 you're clearly saying that you had issues with um, being sort of seen as a minority in, in, in your, in, while you were growing up. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 my grandfather's Jamaican. Uh, my other grandfather's Sicilian and my... It was almost more difficult, really, because I used to get this thing like, well, you're not really black, you know, but you're not really, you know, one of them. And it was like, well, I'm not white. And you're right, I'm not totally black, but I am most definitely brown. And I definitely stood out a mile and always have done. 
you know, um, the, the colour didn't start getting looked at until I was about six, and I remember it was probably 77, and we, I went to school one day, and I remember a boy called me a blacky Sambo, and, um, you know, uh, it then started from there, really, and got worse and worse and worse. Well, I say why it didn't start until later on, because children don't see colour, they just see the person. And it was, they were obviously learning these things from their parents or what was on TV at the time in the 70s. You know, you'd hear about darkies and sambos quite a lot. So maybe that was what started it, but it really did start from there. In fact, it was so bad growing up. I was, I was taken to a boxing club at a very young age by my dad because my dad was in the area before me. So he was the first generation mixed race. So he grew up in the 50s and 60s. Uh, he joined a box. He was an, he was an England boxer. And uh, really, I think the whole family, there was a lot of brothers that had to learn to look after themselves because if they didn't, you know, you were physically attacked in those days. And, okay. and people could get away with doing that. All right. We're going you know? to come back to discuss more of, you know, your lived experience. Because um, obviously that is mm. important to how you will be able to relate to the young people that you, um, you know, deal with on a day-to-day basis. But let me um, say hello again to Janine. Janine, um, may I ask you a little bit about um, yourself and how it's, what it's been like going back to, you know, being in the physical space at the school? Um, okay, so I work at Kingswood School, which is an independent school in Bath. Um, so I guess my experience is quite different from Marvin's, but the main sort of similarities is that it is a boarding school. So we have people coming in from all, you know, from all lots of different countries, particularly African countries, um, to stay in Bath. Um, I grew up um, in North London. Um, I am of African descent and um, growing up in London in the late 70s and 80s, um, I just thought that's how the world was. You know, the world was relatively diverse. You know, yes, some people got more things than other people, but, you know, you worked hard and you got, you know, something out of it. Um, it was the typical thing, you know, I was good at sport when I was younger, so, so my family were good at sport, my parents were professionals, um, so, you know, in, in, in as far as our community went, we had quite a good reputation as a family, so we, we were of quite a good standing, although my brother, who was um, my only brother, he often got stopped by police and things like that for different reasons, but I was quite young and kind of didn't have much of an understanding as to why that was happening you know but I just remember just having my, my parents were very politically aware as well so I remember we used to being really really young and just being taken to the back of pubs to listen to some anti-apartheid lecture or something like that you know my parents were like were always kind of at the forefront of anything that was going on at the time so to me it's always been quite normal I had um, my own school experience was mixed you know, we had lots of different nationalities, you know, I grew up in a Catholic environment in North London, so it was African, Italian, you know, Irish, you know, it was a complete mixture of people and 
And then, of course, I came to Bath. I actually came to study in Bristol and I met my husband and moved to Bath. And that was the shocker. That was the big difference for me. That was a massive changing point in my life because suddenly everyone was white. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, suddenly, you know, I couldn't get my plantains and I couldn't get my cassava leaf and I couldn't get my okra, you know. Yeah and wondered what was going on, where is this stuff? You know, I still, you know, I I can't believe I have to travel all the way to Bristol to just do a bit of shopping or I have to travel to Bristol to get my hair products or I have to do this. And I just thought that's, to me, that was, it was weird. It was unusual. It's like, come on, they know this is, you know, 20, whatever, or, you know, when did I arrive? I arrived probably 1999 or, and you know, 2000. And, you know, the world has, is a diverse place. Let's, I I would have assumed that by now all of these things would have been available to everybody. Um, But I was wrong. But um, I started teaching and um, I just naturally, obviously had an affinity for the children of colour, whether it was um black asian chinese whatever i always had an affinity with them because i kind of felt well if i have have this uh experience or have this vision as an adult i can't only imagine what it was what it must be them as as children you know it must be really hard for them as children to kind of be coming into this world where everyone is so different from you and has no understanding of you. I didn't have that experience when I was younger. You know, we were all understanding of each other's differences and, you know, culturally aware. So do you think that that's really made a difference in the way you approached Black History Month? Definitely. Well, I think it, for, for us at Kingswood, it started um, obviously earlier. So early lockdown happened um, and then we had the disastrous event um, that, co- that caused the, the, you know, the black, the um, George Floyd incident. And it was actually that moment that kind of elevated everything in terms of school. We were teaching online at the time and we were encouraged to maintain our activities. You know, it was hard work for us as teachers, but there are certain things that you really feel are important and want to do. And in fact, um, it was one of the students who is now head boy, and I'm so proud of him, um, who came to me and he's a black uh, boy boarder from Nigeria, who's now head boy. And he came to me and said, Miss, we need to do something about this. We need to make people more aware of what we're experiencing and what we're going through. And um, ever since I've been at Kingswood, I've always run a cultural discussion group. So it's just a group where people were allowed to, like at lunchtime or after school, and they'd turn up and we'd talk about silly things. It might be hair, it might be products, it might be what it's like for our Russian borders, it might be what it's like for our Chinese borders. And we'd just sit and learn from each other. We'd just learn about each other's ideas and cultures. And fast forward to, to, to the beginning of lockdown, and I was like, well, why don't I um, sort of re- reignite that group that we had? But obviously everyone's at home, we're all in lockdown, so we'll do it in teams. Well, previously I might have had maybe 10 kids come along. Then suddenly this, the Black Lives Matter happened, George Floyd incident, you know, tragic incident happened. I was getting about 50 to 60 kids logging on of all ethnicities wanting to find out more wanting to learn more and this continued every single week and it just got bigger and bigger and the impact that it's had um, at school alone is massive in terms of um, the language that people are using we've now um, our senior 
um, our senior management team and our chair of governors have all done um, anti-racism training and diversity training. And, and that's going to now be filtered down through the whole st staffing body. So many things have happened that the cultural discussion inclusion group has has raged on with such a passion. And um, I've handed it over to uh, the senior pupils and said, ask them to chair an event every week. And they just... I'm going to sort of just um, interrupt you for a minute there, just because I you know, also would like to find out from Marvin if at this stage, the same, the impact of um, the Black Lives Matter movement on your um, Black History Month, What's it been like, Marvin? Have you got a lot more kids engaged in this same fantastic way that um, Janine has, has as well? The children are a lot more engaged. Uh, we've started looking at hate in general as part of the PSAG curriculum. Uh, so the children seem a lot more engaged and uh, it's more topical. I would say staff, you know, teachers in general, um, who are not of colour seem more interested. Now, I always find when I spoke to a lot of white teachers, there seems to be a lot of fear around mm. how to, you know, teach, how to talk about these issues. So I'm concentrating at present in making sure that we set up quite a lot of training for teachers. So uh, we got a guy called Rob Mitchell coming in from the Bath Black Band. We know He's Rob. Been in before. He's yeah, been on our programme. Big up, Rob. Rob. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we've booked in uh, with like our sister school. Again, this is all like, you know, from the, the whole Matt wide, you know, encouraging these things. We're getting Nakesh in, Nakesh Shukla, who's, uh, you know, he's he's unbelievable. He wrote the, the book, the, the Good Immigrant. We've got him coming in, booked in to do some staff training. So, um, as a staff group, I feel uh, it's important to to target the staff first, and then that can filter down through to the children. Because as a PSHE lead, with all the will in the world, I can run around and run around and run around doing things. But the best way of doing it is by empowering teachers, you know, and they can facilitate these things. They can facilitate these conversations. So, yeah, I mean, Black History Month, I'm a little bit wary. To be honest with you, I'm always a little bit wary of Black History Month. Like, we get our month. But what about the other 11 months? For me... I agree, you know, I agree. Three months is like, no, every day's Black History Month. Every, we need to be talking about this all the time. Things aren't going to stop at the end of... It's just history. You know, it's we're history. talking... Yeah, I mean... Uh, I'm finding things out myself because growing up, I was only ever really thought about white culture. It was, you know, my name is Grub and it took me, you know, it, it's a slave name. I didn't realize. I'd never been taught about that history. You know, I've had to find that out for myself. And as Black History Month does carry on and we are talking about it more and it is being built into education more with the, you know, the British values and everything, and the George Floyd, and, you know, it was happening before then. Uh, I'm finding out things as a mixed-race person, as a, a person of colour myself, uh, because there's been massive gaps in the past. And for me, Black History Month isn't going to stop at the end of October. It's a continual uh, thing that we're going to be going in at and, and, and learning about.
about and, and educating the children and educating staff and, you know, using as many people because there's more and more professionals out there that are coming in and trying to, you know, fight against hatred, fight against fear, fight against, you know, intolerance. You know, again, this, you know, the, the British values, I go back to that, you know, we were talking to the children about it the other day, you know, I don't want to be tolerated, you know, um, it's not tolerated is what I want, and we were exploring that, but it is about respect, and it is about, it's okay to be different, and you don't have to attack things that are different, so we're exploring all those sorts of things, uh, but as I say, the more role models, the more um, people of colour we can get in, because Janine's talking about Bath, Bath compared to where we are in Somerset, uh, is incredibly multicultural. I mean, it's, it really is. Uh, what I think on the census, something like 98.7% white. So I feel it even more important to um, expose the children, uh, you know, and some of the staff to people of colour. I recognise you know? actually a lot of my peers in, in the staffing body <laughs> they do have no experience of of a diverse community. There are some people that have had spent lived their whole life without having to have these interactions, and then suddenly they're told that they they can't say this or you shouldn't say that or it's inappropriate to do this, and they're like, "What? You know why? You know it's, it's difficult for them to get their head around sometimes, even though it's common sense." Yeah, that's right. Um, I just wanted to um, sort of move us uh, along a little bit. Uh, William, you've been, I think, to both schools now. Yes, and vir virtually. It was kind of the schools were the other end of a dodgy internet connection. But okay. yeah. So yeah. what has been the experience for the three of you doing this? And I'll start with William this time. What is this, you know? So I was particularly struck talking to... Uh, to Janine and to Marvin, because both of them said, you know, the different schools that they're in, they're the only black or BAME teacher in their environment. And I had a sense of the huge pressure they were under. And I kind of, I'd like to ask them really whether the rest of the school somehow places the burden of achieving common sense equality disproportionately on your shoulders. For me, for me, it was, you know, it's a very small studio school. And I came from a background of being a PSHE lead um, in a school where there were a few of us, people of colour. Uh, and I don't think it's almost like a burden um, or it's put on. But how can I say? I feel if you're a person of colour, you've got a little bit more understanding in this area. You know, uh, you can learn these things in a book. Um, you can hear what I've spoken about um, growing up, but certainly living through, you know, racism and prejudice and, and the experiences that you've gone through, what it's like to be not only different, but the only person of color growing up. Um, it, it empowers you and gives you insights that, that people who are white wouldn't necessarily have. And it's not so much given as a burden, it's very much supported and backed up by all the other colleagues. I would also say as well, again, we go back to fear that white people, white colleagues, not being 100% confident in how they should approach 
colour, the issues of colour, the issues of diversity, and the worries about saying the wrong things. Yeah. So absolutely, I've not been in this role because I'm a person of colour. You know, you're the person of colour, so you can go and teach that. Absolutely not. And it's not me on my own. Everything like I did with you, William, and the Harley Slasty Trust, was supported by all my colleagues and, guess, and had that it was a team rallying around really yeah what well, we felt i suppose when, when I, I initially we had real difficulty getting through to schools i wrote to a dozen schools really had no responses it was only when uh, baines wrote out to schools to say that look uh, the fairfield house people have done a presentation and then you got in touch with us and and i really felt you, you were saying, you know, I, I, I need this material because, because I'm a sort of lone voice here and, and the school really needs to hear this. And when we had those glimpses of your, of your school uh, on the video, they just seemed really engaged, lively, sort of exciting children with lots of questions. So we really loved the interaction with them. We loved the, the questions that they had. And then Janine, I mean, you know, with you, I think we also felt that, that there's a, I suppose, an urgency of spreading the message. I mean, obviously, I was... I'd say that my experience is slightly different from Marvin's in that kind of the ball was kind of rolling already and 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 it the nature of my school a lot of it did fall onto me but I think that's also just down to me as well because of my you know urge to as a pastoral kind of style teacher you know the kids have always mattered to me they are the main they are you know my main priority when I go into work um, and I'm, I like to think that I'm the teacher that they can come to and tell me things, you know, that I, so I can help them and support them. And this is all the kids. It doesn't matter who or what they are. Um, and so I was finding that a lot of the kids were coming to me, asking me questions about stuff. And it would always be, there'd always be like a certain age group where that, you know, when they're young, they want to be just like everybody else. And then when they, as they get older, they start realizing that actually, you know, there are differences about me and I quite like these differences, but I don't understand, you know, why I'm being treated differently or why they use that word or what's going on. Yeah. And that's when they come to me, you know, to, for the, to help answer those questions. Um, so, and I think the staff, the, the senior managers understand that, and, but they don't understand what, you know, how to support that. So therefore they um, came to me and, you know, so therefore they, I, I was just that person. And it just got, it, it just became a habit that, you know, teachers would email me with information or ask me questions. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just become another, a role that is an unofficial role mm. um, sort of in every sense of the word. Do you find, did you find both of you that the, the history of Haile Selassie and his story and his stance, and was that, was that something new and helpful for your children to hear? It was definitely a, 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 an eye opener to, to all the kids that um, we experienced it. We, so we had the privilege of this presentation just yesterday, um, just Friday, and it was awesome. Um, I was very nervous about the first live, my, my first live kind of assembly style thing. Um, but I tell you what, you could hear a pin drop in my classroom with the, the kids just staring at the screen with their mouths open in awe of not just William and the way he's, you know, his effervescent nature, but also the, the topic that was being covered something that was literally up the road from where they were sitting and so many of them knew nothing about it absolutely nothing 
and um, the questions that I was getting afterwards from teachers, from pupils, they were outstanding. And I'm thinking, why don't you know about this? You know, you could, these are the sort of things that we as a society need to be promoting. This is a positive thing. It's not a story of slavery or hate or, or investing in, in things that are not appropriate. It's a story of joy, of giving, of sharing, you know, inviting somebody to your home and praising them. And we're talking about a king. We're talking about a black king you know we why are we you know why do we we as black people are we you know have always honored our the fact that we have we've come from actual royalty <laughs> you know we've always honored that fact it's now it's now time to share this knowledge with our communities and say look we are equal to you you know we are we can do what you do and um, we actual we have actual kings and queens in our history too you know i find things out i didn't know let alone everyone else I would say there was the school felt electric afterwards. Um, we had the very, you know, an overwhelming feeling that something good had just happened, uh, and the children knew that. Um, other children, you know, both the uh, black and white. Do you think it makes them look differently at sort of black culture? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's it's sort of like more, you know, my my regret was it had to end when it had to end because I came away with more questions myself and I know that the children would but we managed to sort of like you know circumvent COVID and and it worked really really well my only regret was that it it was over quite you know after 20 minutes it was over because it was fitting it into the day but once again it goes back to this is why I don't want it just to be a month this is going to be an ongoing relationship that's going to be explored I mean, there'd be children there and staff members that the first time ever in their life that they spoke to somebody was Rasta Fry. That you was Rast Benji, Rast Benji. Um, and he's really willing to do Rast more. Benji, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, it was like, you know, and it was what I said when I was talking to you, Will, because you were going to do it. You know, and I felt a little bit bad doing it, really, but I was like, any chance we can and get someone else of colour up there, uh, a person, a, a, a Rastafarian you know, up there to show the children directly, to expose them to diversity, to expose them to things that are different to them. Because the majority, bar very few, I mean a real minority, every child there is white. We don't have the diversity that you have at Kingswood. Uh, you know, we're, we're a, a comprehensive school. Um, and, and the catchment areas are going to be all really dominant white areas. And, and, and the children absolutely loved it. They, they, they were silent, they were involved, mouths open, just taking it in, and so were the staff. Did they ask you know? questions after? But when, yeah, they, they asked questions, they continue to ask questions. What I didn't want them doing, and this is what I don't want them doing, is the only person of colour that they're really coming into contact with is me. You know, so the more people of colour I can get in and they can talk to, uh, the better. I mean, our headmasters and everyone there is passionate about it. You know, I almost get a free free reign. Yes, yes, yes. What do you want? What do you need? And we get that from the CEO as well. There's a guy called Alan Williams who's, who's passionate. You know, he took over them. We went into the mat last year. He's absolutely passionate about it. He's got me leading the, you know, the Stephen Lawrence, um, 
charity push across the map. You know, for me, this is just the beginning. But so it, Marvin, it feels absolutely right. But I, I can't just do it. You know, I don't just want to do it on my own. I don't just want to be teaching lessons, putting up videos, doing a good assembly. Children want to see different people. They want external speakers. We so need Marvin, more of this. So Marvin, is there more we can do? Fairfield House is a community with black elders and black volunteers. It assembles Rastafari. The Ethiopian ambassador is coming to visit us shortly. Uh, His Imperial Highness Prince Michael, Prince Ermius have visited Fairfield House. What more could we do with Linda? Yeah. You know, all of those, please, and more, come, join us, you know, virtually or in person, you know, as much culture as you possibly can, you know, and I'm given, you know, within reason, a free reign in my school and in my map from my headmaster, my CEO, I'm given free reign to do as much as I can to, to improve children's education when it comes to cultural diversity okay you know uh it's i mean we've got some children there people of color i mean i I did a i used to mentor a boy a couple of years ago and he lives in the area and you can go to bath and go to bristol in bristol you you can go in areas and not come across any kind of overt sort of racism and this lad and i was talking to him he's only about eight nine ten miles away from bristol bath and he said to me that he felt like a half human. I was only talking to my son about it today. I said, why do you feel like a half human? And he said, because he, it was only half of him that was white. He, he, he literally mm. felt that he was half a person. And it was so upsetting. It was so upsetting to hear this. You know, and, and I actually did quite a lot of work with him. And, and when we're talking about culture and you look at Haile Selassie and, and Africa, I mean, I got my DNA test up. I got a DNA test and I put it up on the board. And I said, if you see my DNA, it's all the countries at West Africa. And we're all looking at it. And I'm saying, but all these countries mean that I'm Caribbean, you know? And the Caribbean culture was slightly different. Well, this boy uh, um, identified as being Jamaican. And it turned out that his father was actually Nigerian. So we spent time investigating his culture and the foods and the things from Africa. You know, um, I only know what I know. And the more people we can get of color, white people, whoever it is, who can um, add value and, and bring experience to these children's lives, to staff members' lives, the better. You know, an open mind, you know, arm, you know, a creative anything sort of like is possible and and black history month let's take the month off it let's talk black history and that's the way i'd like it to go so janine we you know we did the assembly at kingswood had fantastic questions fairfield house is is a small handful of volunteers trying to rescue that heritage from baines council it's several overlapping communities how can fairfield house do more work more with with kingswood school 
in Munster? I think there are so many ways. I think there are so many ways um, in which we can you, we can support each other. Really, um, the kids were asking me after yesterday, like, what can we do? How can we support it? When can we go to Fairfield House? I told them about the library there and the wealth of knowledge. I told them about the artifacts, you know, that you can find there and the pictures on the walls, you know, that I've had the privilege to see and look at, and all the, all the elders of the past that have been there and all the events that have happened there and they are incredibly intrigued and I'm really hoping William that we, can, that we at Kingswood can also have the privilege of Ras Benji um, to perhaps join us for some if not more than that of our cultural discussion and inclusion He's as well king. as yourself He's super keen, yeah. though. he'd really like to, and others as well. There are, Benji is excellent, yeah. So all of these things, and um, for us, it's a lot of it is coming from the kids. You know, a lot of it is coming from them. It's like, yes, I'm the person who they come to for questions, but actually they come to me. You know, all of them come to me. You know, I had two um, white girls come to me just a few weeks ago and asked if they could do a presentation on white fragility. Um, and they did at the last cultural discussion group and it was amazing, you know, it's about seeing things from different points of view and getting those experiences. They were lucky that they'd had those experiences and they were sharing it with their peers. So you might not have experienced this, but can you imagine what it's like for other people? You know, can you imagine what it's like for those people that haven't had those experiences? And I think every child, every young person deserves to have that breadth of experience of different kinds of people. So if Fairfield House and Kingswood you know, can really can form some kind of unity somehow, whether it's supportive financially, whether it's supportive, you know, educationally, you know, whether we can celebrate together or whatever it is, um, we need to build that unity because actually for us as a school, particularly a school in Bath with, with, with Fairfield Howe down the road, it has to be really important. It has to be really important to have that relationship. Please. William, can I just say, as a direct result of uh, that session, um, did you know that I was talking about it explored afterwards, we looked into personal bias and um, our own personal bias. And I said that I'd done a test some years ago exploring my own personal bias. And do you know the children asked if they could look at their, um, if they had any personal bias and they all wanted to do a test and we did the test from Harvard wow. and um, looked at our personal bias mm -hmm. because I, I feel that, I, I, I feel when I look at the 70s compared to where we are now, things have got better. That's what it feels like to me. But actually, when you look at it, I would say in the 70s, 80s and 90s, maybe early 2000s, racism was very overt. Um, you could see it. You could see where it was coming from. Uh, but as time's gone on, it's become covert. It's become hidden. And I think that makes it more dangerous. Um, and as a starting point, as a direct result of you coming in, children in our school, mostly white children, wanted to see and have a look at their own unconscious bias. You know, after that one session, and I think that's absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, you know, fun. and to be quite honest with you, this is why I get up and do the job. Wow. So thank you for that. Well, William, I, we, you and I were discussing um, before you joined us, um, sort of what were the benefits of, you know, doing something like this in a predominantly white um, area. And you've clearly answered that question for us, because if it's got, um, you know, the 
young white people um, looking at them, themselves and asking themselves about, you know, unconscious or subconscious bias, then, you know, it, it has obviously been a very, very successful enterprise. Tosin, thank you. That was wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to say thank you both to, to, to both of you. Listen, Janine, Marvin, yeah, thank you so much for inviting us into your schools and for joining us today on Imperial Voice Radio. This has been In Our City. I'm William Heath. And I'm Uluato Siwadileri. We're saying goodbye to Marvin from Mendip, Janine from Kingswood. Stay t- Bye. Bye-bye. Stay, stay tuned to Imperial Voice. I know I will. Thanks very much. Gina Yashere, uh, she's a black Nigerian, she's black British Nigerian comedian and she moved to America and she said, you know, and obviously yeah. America don't always understand that we have black people here, first of all, but, but she was like, yeah. you know, there's, there's, she said exactly your point, you know, there are two, there's two kinds of racism and to be honest with you, the ones that call you the M word to your face and ask you if, you're, if you've got a tail, they're not the ones to be afraid of. It's the ones that it's the they're ones not. It's the ones that don't give you a job. It's the ones that keep you down. It's the ones that keep telling you no. And as you say, don't respond to emails and don't let your voice be heard and don't let you be your. You know, don't let you experience your culture or live your culture because it's not. Speak your language. You know, change your name. That's something that's quite common at school. You know, all the kids coming over from Nigeria, they're like, oh, I can't pronounce your name. Can we call you this instead? And it's like, well, no, you can pronounce Neve's name and you can pronounce, you know, Sinead's name and you can pronounce this person's name, but you can't, you, all it takes is you asking me three or four times and then you'll be able to do it. They're the problems that we have. That's the, they're the things that we need to be changed. I saw it and said, get your knee off our necks. And he's right. He's right, he's right, but it's done subtly, it's done with a smile, it's done, it's done, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these and do you know what, I've got to say, say it, until we start exploring this subconscious bias, unconscious bias, yeah, is that a lot of people are doing it without even realising it. So what's that test you, you refer to, Marvin? Is that, that you, you said there was a uh, test. Yeah, I, the Harvard I, test, it's could, Harvard you can do a lot of it. You just go on um, test. Can, you do the uh, skin tone. I can come out as biased towards people of color. I can Google it. Yeah. Got, you know, that was direct result of you. But that test will always come out with whatever you are. So you're obviously going to have a bias towards whatever you are. That's that's human nature. You're going to be, you're going to, you know, want to be like the people that you, that you but, are. Um, but it's all about yeah, the understanding of, of others. It's all about knowing that you have that bias and equalizing your behavior yeah. so that that bias isn't shown yep. through. That's well, it. That's exactly it.
I mean, I'm I'm sixty. You nailed it there, Janine. And Fairfield, <laughs> Fairfield House yeah. and Imperial Voice has just been transformative for me. I've learned so much in the last year or two. So much. I've learned so much in the last six months, you know, and it's not based on, you know, I don't have the, I don't have all the answers, but I'm the one that they all come to and ask the questions to. Yeah. And I said to our previous headmaster, it's like my only qualification of anything to do with this is the colour of my skin, yeah. you know, just because of my life experience. And actually my life experience has been very different from the kids here. The kids here at my school have been brought up in the incredibly white world. I didn't have that same experience. So for me, it is a massive learning curve the things that I've had to learn and experience and it's really just about being being kind you know being observant being understanding yeah. you know and you know and for me it's it's sometimes it's difficult not to be angry it's not it's difficult you know the frustration and you know trying to get through to people you'll never understand you'll never know what it's like it's not okay and you know these things aren't okay and then sometimes I get well what's wrong with her now or what's the what's going on now and it's like those are the things are that is racism that is compartmentalizing my saying my things aren't as bad as everybody else's you know they are and actually the kids are experiencing it worse because they're children you know it's just it's it, it can be very frustrating so so i'm sort of like you know perennial glass half full optimist type of person and and i've observed the amount of valid kind of hurt and pain and anger that there is in a very much minority community in bath and somerset Am I being kind of over optimistic to think that the highly Selassie example to show someone who's an emperor, who's accepted as a god and who spoke so strongly about equality, that that can have a sort of transformative and unifying effect? Do you, it, am I being of kind of na can. naive? Well, yeah. if, it, if, it, if it does it for one, if it changes one person, you know, um, if, it, if, it, if, if we stop one, if I... You know, I won't win them all, but if I can get one person leaving my school who's not prejudiced or racist, then as far as I'm concerned, I'm glad I've gone through everything that I've gone through. Fantastic. You know, um, and, and it's as simple as that. I mean, you're there as a white person fighting the fight. You understand. And when me and Benji were chatting, it was like, you know, you understand what we're talking about. It's empathy. You know what it must feel like. You know, I mean, I had it in another way where mixed race people don't have a foot in either or so when i was young we we're almost like a new race i mean i remember when i was younger the skinheads in bath would chase me and call me a packet because they didn't know what mixed race was you know yeah. they used to have yellow laces to beat up asian people and they would have red laces to beat up black people and i can tell you the history of bath they used to dominate the town center in bath wow. until breakdancing coming <laughs> and then breakdancing came in. Did they all switch then? There was a group. Did they all drop their Mohicans Well, yeah, they were all. I mean, they were terrifying. There was loads of them. I mean, the brain. They had the brain. Doctor Martin's up to their knees. I mean, they ruled down there. It was a no-go area for people of color. You know, you knew what was going to happen. There was like Eric Snooks in Bath. You knew if you went round that corner, you were going to get attacked in some sort of way. Wow. Um, but what happened was the electro rods became pretty famous and more and more people joined this electro rods. And in the early 80s, mid 80s, they went down there, unfortunately, at the sort of all out, which is what they did. They sorted them all out. And, and, and it changed and a lot of these people who were skinheads and all those things are, are good friends of people of color now. 
but it was just the way things were. What's the electro rods? Just the way things were. And, and the electro rods was a, um, they were a, a break dancing gang who, um, they would break dance. They were very good. They were nationally well, but they were known worldwide. And they would break dance in front of Prince Charles and all that sort of thing. Remember all the break dancing in the 80s? Yeah, spinning on your um, head. I couldn't believe it. Went do to New we York. remember? Yeah. Of course we did. <laughs> yeah, there you are. I used to have my, um, my, my, my blaster, my, my, my bot, and they would call it a what? Hat. I remember people say. Your tangle hat and your Adidas Yeah, they'd say, oh, you've got, yeah. Yeah, you're not a Nike thing. And I remember they'd say, oh, you've got your wog box. Oh. You know, and they'd be like, oh, really? I remember my dad would always say, a wog means Western Oriental gentleman, <laughs> you know, um, and would always try and educate me. But, you know, um, my dad's <laughs> just come in now. Look, I say hello. 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 Hi, Marvin's you know, dad. You know, <laughs> uh, okay. He's, um, yeah, he, I mean, he had it a lot worse than me. Um, a lot worse. But, you know, well, we're never going to get there. Hundred, I, I, you know, not in my lifetime, not in your lifetime, maybe not for a couple of hundred years. But I tell you what, things are getting. A, I think things can get a lot, lot better. I think we're on the right journey. You know? I think we're on the right journey, and and it, and, it, and it feels, feels right. It feels important. Listen, Marvin, I better release you to have tea with your with your dad or a pint of beer or whatever you're doing. Brad. Yeah. And Janine, we better release you as yeah. well. Thank you so much. I should explain. Janine, Janine, Janine teaches my daughter, so I was a lot more nervous than she was when I did that presentation. <laughs> yeah, I've been trying to read it out a bit all day, Marvin. It's not worked. <laughs> I got your wobbly email, Janine. But we're not having that. We're not having that. <laughs> all right. Bye, all. Take care. Bye. Bye, Marvin. Thank you. Take care. Be in touch, Janine. Be in touch. I will do. Definitely. Bye. Definitely. Bye.